the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 9060. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. In the early hours of this morning, I was awakened and made my way to the prayer closet. I came with a heart full of tumult, fear, 
I drew close to the Lord, and he said these words out of Scripture. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19. As I drew near the Lord, my heart was restored in complete peace and trust. And I was very clear about what was to happen on this broadcast today. Alexandra is with me in studio today down at Weva. She is, if you are not aware, she is my precious wife. I want to ask her some questions today. And the reason I want to ask her questions is because we've been speaking much with you day by day about sin and righteousness, about repentance, about finally turning everything over to Jesus. But I'm sure you do not have many examples of anyone who has actually done this in your life. So what does it actually look like? So, Alexandra, welcome. Welcome. I have a question. Is there anything in your life that is of rebellion against the Lord Jesus? No, there's no, I'm not in any rebellion against God. Is there in your life any area of darkness? No. One word answers are not going to do it. You're going to have to be bold. No areas of darkness in your life. No, as we were talking about this this morning, there were some scriptures that came to mind about this. Jesus said that, um, he said, he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness because he's the light of the world. And so we walk in the light. And then this comes up again. Jesus said, he that believeth on me is passed from death unto life. And then in the book of first John, John talks about the same idea. He says that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with God. And that the darkness is past and the true light now shines. So these are all describing the same present experience. So to when we truly enter into Jesus, we're giving up all the darkness. And we have the freedom to come completely into the light. And that's where we can enjoy the presence of God. And are you saying, Alexandra, that that is your present experience with Jesus? Yes. So you're not walking in any area of known sin against the Lord. You're walking clean before him. Yes, I do not want to sin ever again in my life. It's just too upsetting. So please tell me, how did you arrive at that place? So as we were talking about this, um, I, I, I came to see that there were, I would say, four key incidents in my Christian experience on this question. So I th- the first one is, as you might expect, was when I became a Christian. 
So when I I didn't grow up in a Christian family. I didn't have any Christian background. I had not read the Bible. So I came to Jesus with some pretty limited knowledge. Pretty much all I knew when I came to Jesus was that I knew I was cut off from God. And as hard as I tried, I couldn't do the right thing. I was trying as hard as I could to live an ethical life, and I couldn't do it. And God would not speak to me. I was very upset by that. I was trying to ask God why he had created me and what my purpose in life was. And there was just no response. So I was very aware that my life was vain unless I was surrendered to God because I knew that I'd been created for a specific purpose. And if I wasn't surrendered to God and living out that purpose, then my life didn't mean anything. So my thinking at that point had not advanced to recognize that my life wasn't just meaningless, but it was actually a life of rebellion if I wasn't surrendered to God. So I came to Jesus with this pretty limited knowledge, but I knew that I needed to give my entire life to Jesus and that all that mattered was that I was in the will of God. So that was... Now, you're not thinking the Christian God. You're just thinking God. Right. I, I mean, I believe that there was only one God, but I didn't know who that God was at that point in time. And you were deep in yoga mm-hmm. and Hindu beliefs. It was out there. And it wasn't working. It was not working, no. It was just, I was five months of me trying as hard as I could through reading these obscure Hindu texts and doing different types of yoga and meditation to connect with God, and it was just utterly failing. So that was when I realized that there had to be another way. And I saw the power of God demonstrated when someone I knew was born again. And so that was how I recognized that Christianity isn't just following rules. I didn't know much about Christians. So I thought that Christians just tried to do what the Bible said. And that it was kind of like a living by principles type of thing. I didn't realize that there was any spiritual power or transformation that happened. So it was when I saw the power of God demonstrated in somebody I knew who was born again and his whole character changed immediately that then I said, okay, so there is an actual power in Jesus Christ. And it was when I began to, I actually got on my knees and I tried to surrender my life to God. And then at that point, I realized that I needed God's name because there's hundreds and hundreds of different gods that people worship. So who was I really giving myself to? And I realized that it had to be Jesus. There was no other There was no other person who could actually be God. And so I said, well, if I have to give my life to Jesus in order to be with God, then I'll give my life to Jesus, even though I didn't want to be a Christian. I was I was willing to be pretty much anything else, not anything else, but Christianity was low on my list of of potential belief systems. But that was really just my own stubbornness as a sinner. So. I just said, it was a huge leap of faith for me. I just said, you know, I give my life to you. 
Jesus Christ. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior, but I really did it. I didn't just say it. And at that moment, I was actually in the shower, and the power of God just completely flooded me, and I couldn't move for about 40 minutes, and I just was totally flooded with God's love and his joy and his peace and his forgiveness and I'd always been because I was into this yoga stuff I'd always been preoccupied with the idea of loving people and forgiving people but I realized when I experienced God's love and God's forgiveness that I had never actually done those things before um because you can't really unless you've repented you can't really love someone because you're still in the grip of selfishness you're really in the grip of self-love until you submit to Jesus so for me that was where there was that initial entering into Jesus and the the sin in my life was just broken because now the Holy Spirit was living inside of me and so I would feel this incredible hatred rise up if I tried to do things that I used to do so one of the things before I was converted, I was a compulsive shopper, and I couldn't stop. <laughs> I tried to set all these limits on myself. I'd say, well, I'll only buy things made in the USA, and well, I'll only, you know, spend this amount of money. But I just, I was utterly failing. This was one of those things where I was, I knew that it was wrong, and I was trying to stop, and I just couldn't stop in my own strength. So then after I received the Holy Spirit, um, I went to an anthropology store and I walked in and I was walking around and just this incredible anger just rose up in my spirit and I just said, I can't be in here. And so I left and then I was like, well, what if I just go to thrift stores because then I'm not spending a lot of money. So I went to a couple thrift stores and, you know, finally I'm just like, why am I doing this? I don't need this stuff. So that's what I mean about how there's really a change of heart that happens. And the one, in one sense, it's because we're setting, when we're converted, when we really repent, we're setting our heart to love God first. But there's also, when we do that, there's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So he's very present and gives us those strong desires and then I found that I had new desires so I became really concerned about the homeless who I lived very close to a homeless day shelter and so you know I would see these people every day so I became very concerned about talking to them about Jesus and the gospel and helping them you know with food or with clothing or if they needed something one of them ended up going to jail. I visited him in jail. So those are things I never would have done because I was just so consumed in myself. So there there was definitely that initial entering into the light. Um, did you want me to speak more about that? No, you said there were four areas. Mm -hmm. What was the second area? So the second area, so when I first became a Christian, I was... I was not, con because I wasn't converted in the church, I didn't really know where to go to church or what Christians believed. I thought all Christians believed the same thing. So I was, 
actually learning a lot through YouTube videos, um, through books. I, I was fortunate. One of the evangelists on YouTube who I listened to had a book list. And so I read some very good books right when I first became a Christian. I read Hudson Taylor's biography, and I read a strong short book called The Kneeling Christian. And so fortunately, I was introduced very early on to the power of prayer and like illustrative examples of what it looks like to live by faith. So I'm really grateful for that. Um, But so what was happening was I was just kind of like picking up mixtures of theology. So what I believed, because this was what I was hearing everywhere, was that Jesus literally suffered the penalty for my sin on the cross. And so the exact justice of God that should have been placed on me, I believe, was placed on Jesus, which then, of course, leads into a limited atonement where you don't believe that Jesus died for the whole world. You believe he only died for the elect. And I believed, you know, you hear people say this a lot, that when God looked at me, he didn't see me. He saw Jesus and that God took Jesus's obedience and imputed it to me. And so, but it was clear that I was living a different life. And so I was in this kind of strain of reformed teaching that believes that, well, the evidence that you're truly saved is that now you're living a holy life and you have a pattern of obedience but you'll still sin and you can never stop sinning until you die pretty much. And that was very upsetting to me because what it, what ended up happening is I became, I began to feel really condemned all the time because I thought, well, I was somehow sinning without realizing it. And I was like, am I right with God? I don't know. Even though I never went back to any of the, you know, the fornication, the drinking, the smoking, the shopping. I never went back to any of it after I was saved. But, you know, because of this teaching, I started to really doubt my acceptance with God. And it's, it's also, it kind of makes you feel like, have I ever really done enough? Which it kind of leads into like a works type of thinking, which I know isn't their intention, but I think that's where it leads. So I was really struggling with this. And this is what led me to my second experience. So I had been reading the, the, the ministry journal of George Fox from the 1600s. He was an, a revivalist in England. And he started the movement that we now know as the Quakers or the Society of Friends. And so he talked a lot about this. He saw, like, he had a kind of a strange view of salvation where he said, you know, there's a second stage of salvation where you cannot sin. Um, And I was like, and that's what he called being born again. And so I was reading all this stuff and I was like, have I even been born again? I don't know. And so I just started to pray about it. And I said, if I haven't been born again, I want to be, you know, I don't want to sin. I, it it was just detestable to me. I just wanted to know that I, I was right with God. And so I was also struggling because I'd been reading the Bible a lot. I mean, after I was converted, just I was just devouring the scriptures. I read the New Testament like seven times, maybe in three months. And then I started to go through the Old Testament. And what I noticed is the Bible everywhere talks about the righteous and the wicked. 
And so I was saying, this doesn't make sense. If we've all sinned, how can God call anyone righteous? And I was really troubled by the question, how can I be saved by faith, but then judged by my works? I didn't understand that. So as I I was praying about this, and I had been fasting because I was going to see... I had a lot of family from my dad's side who I hadn't seen in 10 or 15 years. And I didn't know really where they were in terms of, you know, did they know Jesus? What would they think about me? I wanted to go there as a light to them. I didn't really even know what they believed. I was nervous about if they would accept me because I'd been I'd been estranged from the family for so long. So I'd been fasting and praying for a day or two. And... So the day I was going to drive up there, up to New Jersey, I was in a library and I was reading Matthew and I read when Jesus said, blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. And that was just, it was like this, it was like heaven opened. It was just like this flood of light. And I was, and I said, if I'm filled with righteousness, that means there's no room anything else like if I have a glass that's filled with water there's no room to put milk in it and so I said okay if I'm filled with righteousness that means there's not actually any space for sin and I saw that if we if we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness we don't even have an appetite for sin and so I just saw that sin was just totally annihilated and so I ran outside because I was like so excited that I wanted to dance and jump around and sing some hymns. So I ran out of the library to this kind of secluded grassy area with some trees. And I was singing Victory in Jesus and all the birds were singing with me. And I saw, I saw myself standing at the judgment of God and I saw I saw the holiness of God and I saw that I was this perfect creature like it says without spot and without blemish and I realized that that was a present experience and that Jesus had actually made me holy by faith and so that was when I realized that it wasn't true that when God saw me, he just saw Jesus, but that Jesus actually changed me and made me righteous so that when God judged me, there was real righteousness there. And that when Jesus had made me righteous, there were then righteous actions that I, that I did by faith because it was Jesus who changed me and Jesus who was living in me. Um, but on the day of judgment, when God judged me, it was actually for real actions of righteousness that I had done. And what I find so exciting about what you're sharing is that you came to Jesus with no former background. You came almost as a pristine sinner example of what Jesus will do. Now, some of us have had a whole backload of Christian life and teaching, so things are not so clearly outlined it's a lot of confusion. But you're just shooting straight and saying, Jesus made you righteous. He made you innocent. You didn't sin anymore. That's right. But it did take me about a year to figure that out because 
there was so much confusion in the teaching and in how, you know, I was bound, I was trying to find a church home. And so I do think that God intends us to have this as all one experience. Let's see. For years, I believed. <clears throat> I'm sorry, my voice, I need to clear. My my experience was that it was progressive. You try as hard as you can. You never succeed. You keep trying. And finally, when you die, you're made perfect. And I came to a point of recognizing that was a total lie. It is not progressive. Maturing is progressive, but leaving sin is not. So what was it that you experienced that made you realize that that was a lie? The utter impossibility of bringing other people to Jesus, watching them struggle in the church year after year with their sin, playing like their victims, but they had the ability and the power in the blood of Jesus to say, I forever renounce this sin. But I like to go to the NASCAR. I like to go to the football. I like this. I like that. I like... So it's it's finally coming to a place where you say no more excuses. I am done with the world, the flesh, and the devil. I want Jesus. And I tell you, this morning as I went into the prayer closet, you were still sound asleep. As I went into the prayer closet... It was just the pure, sweet presence of Jesus that met me. It was not a guilty conscience. It was not heavy. So some of you listening, sometimes you think our messages are very heavy. Well, why you think they're heavy is because you're still walking in your sin. But when you walk out of your sin, all of the heaviness leaves. So what I'm most excited about what you're saying, Alexandra, is that this is a present experience. Absolutely. This is not some future deal that if I struggle long enough and hard enough, I'll finally be able to achieve. It's leaving behind the fear, the depression, the anger, the sin. It's leaving it all behind. Yes, and it's not something that's just for an elite few who are really advanced. It's just this is simply what the gospel is. It's what God intends for every single person who becomes a Christian who believes the gospel. He intends for them to have a full and present, complete salvation from all sin. Now, I'm going to open the phone lines quickly for you, and she's going to continue sharing. But if you would like to share and ask Alexandra a question, you're welcome to do that. Our phone number here in studio is 877-534-0780. Again, 877-534-0780. If you'd like to call, if you'd like to ask Alexandra a question, but this is not going to be a debating time. Her testimony is what it is. If you would like to have the same testimony and you have questions that would help you understand how to enter into that place without sin, then call and ask that question. And Alexandra, 
Oh, by the way, you're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel, and Alexandra, my wife, is sharing her story of how she walked out of a life of sin into righteousness, into the glorious, tender love of Jesus. So what was the third? Yeah, so by this point, so I had now understood that I was made holy by faith and that Jesus saved me from all sin. I never had to sin again. Um, I was really drawn to the book of First John because it talks about abiding in him and it says whoever abides in Jesus does not sin. And the way we abide in Jesus, he also answers. He says, let that therefore abide in you, which you received at the beginning. So that was when I understood, you know, when I, I do believe I was born again in that initial experience. And that's why I had such a hatred for sin. Um, so it was when, then when I understood the fullness of the gospel, then I understood, okay, I continue to let that Holy Spirit live in me. I obey him. I cherish his presence. I don't do things that grieve him. And by letting him abide in me, then that's how I abide in Jesus. And that's how I continue in a present state of holiness, of not sinning, of obeying God. So you probably have guessed by this point that I was still having difficulty finding a church. And so I really began to pray and I just recognized I was, you know, I was visiting a different church every weekend and I had some brothers and sisters who I would meet with in their homes who they all went to different churches and I knew them because we would do street evangelism together and so I was praying that God would send me like it says in the in the book of Peter um, Peter says that we're living stones and the church is made up of living stones who are the Christians so I was praying that God would send me to a church where people were serious about the kingdom and where he would build me in as a living stone. And I acknowledged that I couldn't find such a church. I didn't know where God wanted me, but I knew he wanted me to be built into the church. So I prayed at this for about five months, and finally I gave a cashier at a grocery store, I gave him a gospel tract. And then he said, oh, I'm a Christian. So we started to sometimes meet with him for Bible study, and then he invited me to come to a, to a Friday night meeting that was a Bible study. And I said, is it one of those Bible studies where it's really a sermon? Or is it an actual Bible study where everyone can talk? And he said, no, everyone can talk. You know, we actually study the Bible. It's at somebody's house. So I said, okay. So I went and that was how it was a National Prayer Chapel meeting. But I didn't know that until I actually went there. I didn't even know there was a national prayer chapel. But at this meeting, one of the other people who was there said to me, justify means to make righteous, not just to be declared righteous. And I was like, yes! So that was how I knew. I was like, all right, God answered my prayer because this is the only church I've been to where I've heard anyone say this, that the gospel makes us righteous. So I started to go there, um... And, but I was still struggling with knowing what was the the specific will of God for my life. And so 
I made a mistake and I moved all of my stuff to another state and I thought that I could start a house church and like invite the homeless in to come live with me and then they'd become Christians. That was my plan. So, but so when I got there, the presence of God just completely withdrew from me and I was just terrified to proceed any further. I said, no, I can't buy a house. I can't continue in this. I need to get back to God. So I spent three days, uh, not, not consecutively, but I spent three days fasting and just laying on my face all day. I didn't eat or drink anything. And after the third day, I, I got through and I saw that I had been very presumptuous and proud in thinking that I could just go do whatever I thought I should do for God and that God would bless that. And this was the point where I really saw the holiness of God. And what helped me see it, it was what I was seeing in prayer, but I thought of when you see certain Christians who are really filled with the Holy Spirit and it's like there's just this light emanating from them and from their face. And then I realized when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, that he was saying that with more light coming out of his face than any Christian I'd ever seen. And that that was how he always looked. Like, he must have always looked like he was just glowing. And I was like, that's what, that, if I saw someone saying this, saying I'm the light of the world and this is what he looked like, I'd be like, yeah, you are the light of the world. I am going to follow you. And then the other scripture that really was was made alive to me during this time was where I think it's in the book of Luke it says the kingdom of heaven is taken by violence and the violent take it by force and so what I realized that meant was the kingdom of God isn't just going to fall in my lap it's not going to fall in anyone's lap we have to be actively pressing in and pursuing Jesus in order to get the kingdom and that's, again, that's a present experience. So for me, that was, I would say that was pretty critical because you don't really see how evil sin is until you see how perfect God is. And then when you see that God is the most beautiful, immaculate, gentle, kind, loving person who exists in the entire universe, you just you realize that to rebel against him, it's... First of all, it's absurd because why would you even do that to someone who only has your best interest, the best interest of everybody else in view? Why would you then rebel against that person? And then when that person is so perfect, I just saw the blackness of sin. So that for me was why it was such a significant experience. I did come back to the National Prayer Chapel at that point. Um... And then the fourth example, um, you can see, I'm not proud of this, but you can see why I had a bit of a struggle in learning how to, what it really means to walk by the Spirit. So I was going through a very difficult time. I mean, I was living in a tent and I felt like the church was not um, advocating or caring for me. And so I became very angry at the church and I left 
because I just felt like I couldn't handle it anymore. And so I was inadvertently confronted about this several months later and that confrontation led me to really look at what I'd done and what I saw that I had done was that I had prayed for five months for God to send me to the church where he wanted me to be where I would be built in as a living stone and then God had done it and then I had treated those people with contempt and I had basically trampled underfoot God's answer to my prayer. I had shown no appreci- no appreciation for what he had done. And I saw I d- that I didn't deserve God to answer a single thing I would ever ask him again. Um, I didn't deserve him to send me back to the National Prayer Chapel. And this was where I really saw myself to actually deserve to go to hell. Um... And I think that's a really important thing to recognize, that I saw that I could not do anything to make God save me. And this is where the faith has to quickly come in or you'll go into a place of despair and you'll probably even want to take your own life if you stay in this place very long. So, But that was where I saw, I'd been listening to a teaching on the book of Hebrews and I was, I was hearing that Jesus is our present Savior who's interceding for us in the holy place in heaven and that he is right now sanctifying us. He's right now interceding for us. And so that was where I was able to, to take a hold and say, okay, I know that I, des- I deserve to go to hell for what I've done, but I believe that Jesus will save me. And so that was where, for me, I very consciously understood and and did trust in Jesus to save me and not in me to save me. So since that point, um, there's definitely been some strong temptations that have come to me to leave the place where I know God has called me, but I've just said, no, I I know that. I know that I can't do it. Um, I have to be where God told me to be. And I'm just going to trust him for the results. And whatever I have to suffer as a result of that, I'm going to suffer. And I'm not going to be angry at him. And, you know, the worst thing that could happen is I could die. But if I die, I'm going to go to be with Jesus. So, you know, it's really like that place of dependence of seeing that I'm only alive today because God is still wants me. God still wants me to be alive today. He could take my life at any point. So my life doesn't belong to me. And it goes it does go back to that initial recognition I had when I was converted that you know I was created for a specific purpose and that's really all that matters is am I following the will of God? In all of this process what part did restitution play? That's a good question. So, um, again, I think this is something that God intends for us to all be taught at the same time. I think when the ideal situation that God intends is that when I first came to Jesus, 
I would have recognized all these things at once. I would have seen that I deserved hell. I would have seen that I'm made holy by faith in Jesus. I would have seen the need to continually press in. I would have seen God's holiness. I would have seen that anything except submission to God is rebellion. Um, And also I would have seen the need to make restitution. So I didn't actually discover this until I was reading Charles Finney's lectures on revivals of religion. And in lecture three, the title is How to Promote a Revival. And I'm like, oh, good, I want to know how to promote a revival. Well, the whole chapter is repentance, and he's so specific. He goes through probably 20 or 30 very specific sins that Christians are often guilty of. And he talks about how the reason there's no revival is because most Christians have never actually taken the time and the pains to really evaluate their individual particular sins to confess them, and to make restitution for those sins. So when I first came to Jesus, I thought, well, my past is wiped away, so I don't have to think about it anymore. It's done. That's, I mean, it's true to an extent, but it's not really true because the reality was I had told lies and I had never confessed the truth to those people. This was before, there were lies that I told before I became a Christian, And, like, to my mother, for example. And I'd never told her the truth. And so I realized that if I was just letting the lie stand and she was believing it, that I hadn't really repented of that lie because I was letting her believe it instead of telling her the truth so she would know what the truth was. So I had to, I had to go and I, I was very, it was very difficult for me. I had to pray for several weeks because some of the lies I had told were very serious Um, But I prayed for several weeks. I wrote out drafts. I wrote out outlines. And finally, I just said, all right, I have to call my mom today. And I called my mom and I talked to her. Um, There was also, there was money that I had stolen when I was in high school that I had to make an effort to pay it back. And um, what ended up happening was They said, no, don't try to pay us back. It's already been written off the books. There's no way that we could actually accept it back at this point. So I said, all right, Jesus, well, what do you want me to do with this money that I was going to return to them? And so I gave it to radio, (laughs) perhaps not surprisingly. Um, So it was really going through that specific process. But, you know, it's funny because before you actually make that restitution, you just feel so nervous because you're like, what's going to happen? You know, am I going to be arrested? I mean, people do some pretty awful things. You know, you listening may have done something that you're really afraid to confess because you think you might go to jail. So I understand that. But what I, in my experience, I found that, especially if you're confessing to sinners, they often are very uncomfortable by you confessing your sin to them because they don't want to confess their sin. So they, they tend to say, you know, it's fine. I'm not going to hold it against you. And then you're able to move on. And then you just feel so clean afterwards. Like you feel so clean in the spirit and with Jesus so I realize that is that's an indispensable aspect is to identify those specific sins and then you know you have to apologize to people who you've offended but you have to make that restitution and then if you perchance 
make a mistake or do something that's hurtful, you know, like today, if you were to do something like that, then you would want to quickly go to that person and try to make restitution. You don't want to let it linger. So that's what we mean when we talk about keeping a short account with God. So actually, your view of the Christian life is a life without sin. It's a life that is a present experience of innocence before God. You have been made righteous by his blood, by faith, not by hard effort. Yes. But he did the work in you. Yes, and and my responsibility is to yield to him and to not reject that work that he's trying to do. Because it definitely requires action on my part. I had to actually go and talk to my mom about what I had lied about. So it's not like this is a passive thing. But it is it is God who makes us holy. Absolutely. And in that process, as I hear you talk about it, Alexandra, was there joy? Absolutely. I mean, like I said, before you confess, you usually feel pretty racked with terror about what's going to happen. But then afterwards, there's joy. But I mean, day to day, as you live your life, are you a heavy, burdened person just grinding through another day? No, I would say that if I start to feel that way, then I recognize that there's a problem. And so that's something I need to pray about. So it shouldn't be, it's, you know, like it says in First John, it says the commandments of God are not grievous. If they're not burdensome, it's he, not, it's not a painful thing to follow he Jesus. He came to give us life and life more abundantly. Yeah, or liberty, where the spirit of God is, there is liberty. Yes. So I was definitely a miserable person before I became a Christian. But now I, I don't, I don't think people would say that I'm a miserable person and I don't feel miserable. And you're not. I can testify your life is one of constant joy, laughing, dancing, singing, praising Jesus. There is, though, there is an element of of pain and sorrow over the condition of the church or the condition of the lost. So I don't want to minimize that. But the, we're no longer in pain over our own sin. The pain over our own sin is over. And now we're free for God to share his burden with us, which is quite significant. Okay, so what do you want to say to those brothers and sisters who are listening right now? Well, I want to say that if you are presently feeling condemned you first need to ask yourself am i feeling condemned because of actual sin or am i feeling condemned because of some lie i'm believing that i'm somehow sinning without realizing it because that's not true so you want to figure out have you sinned and then if you've sinned confess it in detail and then go make it right and do that thoroughly with every area of your life until you have a clean conscience. And if you haven't actually sinned, then praise God. 
that's, that's the spirit of God that's living in you. There's no way you could live a life without sin, without the spirit of God living in you. So don't believe some lie saying that, you know, the spirit of God isn't powerful enough to keep you from sinning. I mean, if you, if you have been born again and you aren't in sin, then rejoice in that. So what do you say to the people who are walking in known sin? And if you were to ask them, are there still issues in your life? Are you still walking in darkness? Are you still walking in sin? The majority of those listening to this broadcast will say, yes. What do you say to them? Well, usually at that point I say, what sin are you walking in? So, Wait a minute, that, that's vital. In other words, it's not enough to have this overhanging darkness that is not defined. Yes. You want to go over your sins as carefully now as they will be gone over at the judgment. So... That's why I'm saying if you feel condemned, you want to find out, okay, is it actually because of sin? And if so, what uh, what is the sin? And then that's how you deal with it is through confession, through making it right. Um, but it, the key in all that is that you have to be totally submitted to Jesus. You have to be consecrated to Jesus. And the word we use to talk about that is the word repentance. Yes. Where you have confessed your sin. It's not enough just to confess. You confess your sin, and then you repent and say, I'm not going back there. And by the blood of Jesus, I'm finished with it. And there's nothing that breaks the power of of a particular sin in your life, like having to go and make it right with the person you sinned against. Mm -hmm. I mean, probably if you do that one time, you'll be so humiliated that you never want to do it again. And then if perchance you do it a second time, that'll probably... That'll probably be the nail in the coffin for you, for for that sin. And this issue of collecting imaginary grievances against other people or real grievances so that your joy is stolen by bitterness and anger. We have five minutes left. How do you deal with that? I actually did have that happen to me where I I discovered that I did have private grievances against someone. And I said, this isn't right. And so I just, I confessed it. And, you know, this person didn't even know that I felt this way. And then I spent like an hour in the prayer closet because I really didn't want to have to tell this person that I had felt that way. But the Lord was like, you have to tell them. So I called her up and I, you know, I said... I know I'm really, I feel really bad about this, but, you know, I've had these particular things against you that I know aren't true, and I'm sorry, and I really do want to be your friend, and I don't want this to be between us. So, yeah, that's critical. Definitely do that. But when you did that, did that person receive you, or did they cut you off? Um, The person said they forgave me, but there there was a lack of reciprocation in the relationship, so I knew I was clear with them. But then it's up to that person, you know, how they choose to respond. Well, I'm, I'm highlighting that in the last minute because I'm trying to say I am responsible to Jesus. Yes. To walk clean and without sin. And others can say and do whatever they need to say and do. I'm not in control of them. Absolutely. But I'm going to remain loving and kind, totally honest, totally up front 
Is that your understanding? Yes, and that's really why the church can work. It, the church can only work the way the Bible describes it, where we love each other and trust each other and lay down our lives for each other when we're transparent. So that's that's key that for the church to really rise to the level of love and holiness that God has called it to. We've got to get clean with Jesus and get clean with each other and keep those short accounts. Well, we're out of time today. You've been listening to Alexandra, my wife, as she has shared this pilgrimage of faith that God has taken you on out of darkness into light and walking day by day clean of sin. It is a present experience. Well, I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. We'd like to hear from you. If you'd like to be a part of supporting this radio broadcast, we're praying that you will step forward and boldly share. You can go on our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and you can touch the donate button, and your offering would be used for radio. Or you can write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. We go to that mailbox every day, and every day before we open the box, we pray and we say, Lord, thank you for what you've sent, and thank you for what you haven't sent. Whatever it is, we praise you. And then we open the the post office box. Please also follow us on Facebook and Twitter at National Prayer Chapel. And come and pray with us. Go to the webpage or call us. You can find us. God bless you, my brother and sister. We love you. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. With great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 